Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation with Ninjay Gupta on the state of New Testament studies. All right, Scott, so we've got an exciting conversation that we're um, going to get to. I'm excited of what we're going to cover. But before we do that, we wanted to make sure our Kingdom Roots listeners all were aware of a pretty exciting update at Northern Seminary. You want to go ahead and share it? Yeah, I mean, this isn't brand new at all. No, not new uh, news, but in uh, case you haven't heard. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Uh, When I was told by our president that we could conduct a search for a New Testament professor, the first person I contacted was Nijay Gupta to see how he responded to my question. And I I asked him if he had any names, and he started giving me all these names. And I think I said something to him about, well, would you be interested? And he kind of pushed me off on that. Like, I got... uh, we're, we're deeply involved in Portland, and uh, I've got some good names for you. But then our president uh, and the board made a decision, and this, this didn't have anything to do with Nietzsche. This was a theoretical decision that our professors don't have to live in Chicago because increasingly our students don't live in Chicago. So then, all of a sudden, I could go back to Nietzsche, and we started a conversation. Well, there is no... Um, I want to call him first generation, I don't even know what that means, but a first generation New Testament scholar who today I think is making uh, contributions and waves and is known and is thinking about how New Testament studies relates to church life, to pastors, to seminaries. Uh, No one more than Nijay, so we were thrilled that he got interested in us And then he accepted the offer. And since then, he's proven to be valuable in every dimension of seminary education. And um, I'm just quickly learning to step aside and let Nietzsche take take, uh, the guidance here. He understands promotion. He understands admissions. He understands the medium uh, better than any of the professors at Northern, I'll put it a different way, than all the professors at Northern combined. So Nijay, it is great to be with you today. And uh, and I, from where I am, I don't think people see this on video, but I can see Nijay and some of his library <laughs> and a soccer hat, evidently, which I understand is a sport that I've never known anything about. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Chaz. Uh, it's great to be here. Long-time listener to Kingdom Roots and first-time guest. It's a privilege and honor. And, you know, from my perspective on kind of the conversations with Scott, um, you know, he had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people to choose from in terms of colleagues. So I'm just really honored. We struck up a friendship four or five years ago. I was I remember sitting on my bed and I get a message on Facebook Messenger out of the blue where he kind of he kind of started picking on me about my Colossians commentary. And I, I learned I learned about a year later he was fishing about whether he should invite me to do the story of God, I think. 
but he asked me some questions about new perspective. He asked me questions about apocalyptic Paul. I was like, what is this guy doing? I could not figure out what he was doing. But I've appreciated Scott's voice so much in, in New Testament scholarship and, and being the kind of pastor theologian. And in many ways, this is how I want to shape my 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 life, my career, my ministry. When I think of the people that have meant the most to me formatively, um, I think of Gordon Fee and his work. I think of Scott uh, and, and I've just appreciated, um, just what he brings to a new way, you know, for being someone who's, let's say in, in, in his older years, he's surprisingly agile online on social media and all that stuff. So when I think about seminaries really leading the way in terms of what theological education will look like in the future, um, when we start talking about a job at Northern, I, you know, this is all before COVID and people kept asking me as I was contemplating it. You know, you'll be teaching a lot online. You'll be teaching a lot. And now, look, we all teach online. <laughs> and right. I just happen to be very prepared for it. And I taught a course this summer for Northern, which actually happened before I started my contract. And I just had a wonderful experience. It felt very natural, very normal. So I'm just really excited to be a part of the Northern team. Um, one thing that I'm a real big fan of is thinking beyond the walls of anything and thinking about really permeable boundaries kind of think about doctors without borders we're 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 theologians without borders and um i just we love the a, opportunity we need to, to market be out that there. right there we market <laughs> that. that's the good i will <laughs> they, they care a lot about public engagement we want to be able to give away what we do for free um mm. to a lot of people and i i you know scott probably does too but i get people reaching out to me from india uh from brazil i have apparently uh, some people that are interested in my work in brazil some of my blog posts are being translated to Portuguese right now. And it's an exciting time in the world in some ways. Obviously, it's very depressing in other ways. But just want to say thanks again mm -hmm. for connecting to Kingdom Roots, for connecting to Northern, because it is really kind of a dream. Every time I explain what my job is, to even my colleagues, uh, they're like, wow, you won the lottery. And I definitely did. And I want to say that that Colossians commentary you wrote is very good. I don't remember that, cor that correspondence, but I was probably just trying to get where you landed yes. on some of these topics you were uh, but uh i like that commentary that was a, that was a good one that was a very good one and i read a lot of them when i was doing that work can i share a funny story real quick this is <laughs> please exact this is a little bit about scott but it's also about other people so you know sometimes on facebook you know how you get fake fake profiles that will contact you so this is three four maybe four or five years ago I get a message. This is after I got to know Scott. We've been texting back and forth. I get a message from a Scott McKnight profile. And the message on Messenger says, Nijay, how are you doing? And I thought, that's not Scott. <laughs> he doesn't say, how are you doing? He gets right to the point. And so I immediately knew. And I was like, who is this? And then it immediately disappeared. So then fast forward about six months. And that happened with Craig Keener, who's also a very famous New Testament scholar, where he friends me but he already has an account. And so immediately, I, without saying anything, I block the account and I send a thing to Facebook. <laughs> then I get an email from Cr the real Craig Keener. He says, Nijay, Facebook has locked me out of Facebook. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Craig, you already have an account. Why'd you create a second account? He's like, I maxed out on friends. I needed another account. <laughs> so I remember writing that day, the day I erased Craig <laughs> Keener from Facebook. Oh boy, <laughs> he, did, he did come back eventually. Uh, <laughs> they let him back in. He needs to. All he needs to do is get a page, turn it into a page instead of a 
Yeah, he has a fan page, but okay. He yeah. just, I think, you know, if you know Craig, he felt bad and he wanted yeah, to be able to accept yeah. people's friend requests. Yeah, that's Craig. Very good. That's, you know, okay. I like your, your, your line there about theologian, theologians without borders. And you guys probably don't know this, but I've been fielding all sorts of um, interest from people literally all over the globe, from Turkey to South Africa to people everywhere interested in the MANT um, program or the, the doctorate in um, context, in, in New Testament context program that you guys both lead. So, um so it, so it's working. So it's not just podcasts, but it's it's everything. It's I mean, cool. right now, right now, we uh, although she's finished and moved back to the United States, Becky Miller was in the Netherlands, and yeah. I have a student in my second or third cohort, third cohort, who is from Australia. So we span the globe now. Mm-hmm. We are we are a seminary without borders. That's, <laughs> there you that's go. our new promotion. So before I turn it over to you for the rest, Scott, I will let you know, I'm going to just throw this out there to anyone listening who's interested, would like to learn more. Um, I'm going to include a link in the show notes for you to have a conversation with me and Laura, if you're willing and and able to to have a conversation with one of us who are both students in the program. If you'd like to learn more, ask questions or whatever, um, I'll include a link to schedule a call with us. But um, all right, Scott, you've got some state of new testament studies yes um let me begin with with how and Chaz. thanks for all you've done over the long haul on the um on the podcast and um someone i think was nijay who said i i'm i'm at i'm older in my career accurate and that i'm i have facility on the internet i really don't I, I have no idea what's going on right now. Chaz tells me what to do. I turn it on, and it works, and that's all I know. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Well, Scott, <laughs> so, I, I remember asking you if you post your own blog post, and you said you do. And that in itself is an incredible achievement because <laughs> it's not always easy. No, it's not. And it's it's uh, at times it's a real pain. Someone will send me something, with, and it's centered. And I, I don't know how in this new CT blog, I can't get rid of the centering. It'll turn the whole document into centering. So, oh, well, well at any rate, I believe this is how the face, uh, how the State of the New Testament Studies book that Nijay and I co-edited, I should say, Nijay co-edited with me, helping out sometimes. Um, I believe way back in, in about 2000, there was an Old Testament volume called The Face of Old Testament Studies. And Baker came to me uh, and asked if Grant Osborne and I would do the New Testament studies. Mm -hmm. So Grant and I had a great conversation, some of it online, um, and we came up with names and the book just fell together. And I I was astounded over that came out in 2004 the face of new testament studies i was astounded at the number of people um, of different levels students seminary professors phd students and pastors who would write to me and say the uh, the article on say the historical jesus or the article on paul's theology i don't remember which all of them were uh was so helpful to me so uh, these kinds of volumes are good for about 
10 to 15, sometimes 20 years. And uh, so when Nija, you know, I, I don't think I wanted to take the lead as I, I did uh, the bulk of the editorial work on the previous volume. Nije came to me and I thought, this is a guy who likes to do this kind of work. Uh, yeah, so I worked with Nije and um, Nije gave the first read and then I gave a second read of the essays. And we're just hoping and praying that this volume will be of, of use to the next generation where the previous one. And uh, I'll just say a few things and then hand it over to Nije. There is an abundance of New Testament scholarship. I mean, it is frightening at times. If you think you can keep up, uh, you can't. Nobody can read all this stuff. And if they do, you'll never see them because they'll be reading 18 hours a day. And sometimes this scholarship is very creative and it shakes paradigms and our thoughts about what's going on. And and people who are, let's say, even PhD students who tend to read everything until they've read everything about nothing, um, as my father-in-law used to say to me, a PhD is a, is a bachelor's degree piled higher and deeper, um, is, that, is that accessing all this information uh, requires months and months of reading. So we wanted to ask good scholars on topics with which they were comfortable to talk about the big names and the big ideas for these various topics. And the topics of the state of the New Testament is broader than the topics of the face of New Testament studies. And one reviewer on Amazon of the face of New Testament studies said something that is even more true of this book. And, I, and with this, I'll pass it on to Nijay, is that it is a library in a book. It's a library of books all put together in one book. And this is, what is this, about five or six hundred pages, 500 pages of names and movements and ideas. And if you're wanting to know about the theology of Paul and you read Michael Gorman, you're, you're going to know what's going on. So I'll pass it over to Nijay. Uh, I've been talking enough here. So <laughs> Well, you know, just just to give uh, you know a sense of how I look at it, it's very similar to Scott. Um, you know, people ask me, you know, I love soccer, and we were talking about that before we started the podcast. But I love soccer, and people ask me, do you love going to the games? I actually do love going to the games, but I actually like being at home because I can hear the play-by-play -play commentary and the color commentary, and then I get a better sense of like because those those comment commentators are experts who know so much about the game, they know so much about the players and they interpret the game for you. And uh, it's one thing to just watch, you know, a piece of scholarship happen. It's another thing to have an expert kind of position that scholarship and help you understand it and help put it in a, you know, a context and a flow. Um, yeah. So I really value that. Another thing I want to say, just a little, my, my perspective, just as when I went to seminary, I went to Gordon Conwell in the early 2000s. I did not have any religious studies background at all. I studied um, public relations and classics and business. And when I went to seminary, I didn't know anything about anything. And to have these kinds of books that are kind of crib, crib sheets that kind of help you understand kind of behind the curtain, you know, we kind of rely on these things when we're in seminary because we don't have that huge background 
uh, of information. And so, you know, right now, Scott and I and Lynn Kohick are editing the Dictionary of Paul and His Letters, second edition. Very similar situation. We're reading these articles right now as they're coming in. And man, I, I assume the same for Scott. I'm learning so much. Oh, There's so amazing. much I still don't know. Yeah. And one of the one of my favorite things about being an editor is I get to learn for free. I get a free copy of the book. I get to learn from my colleagues. And, you know, Scott's right. There's so much going on. You can't keep up. And all you can do is read these. If you don't understand them, they'll give you some bibliographic items that you can get into. And, um, you know, I just was really excited to, you know, take this to the next uh, next generation since the face New Testament studies helped me out so much. Well, the other thing is, I mean, this is uh, let's just say this is. Uh, Class 102. Class 101 is Nijay's new book. What's it called? Uh, Beginner's Guide to New Testament Studies. Beginner's Guide to New Testament Studies. If you read that, then you read this, you're you're there. Yeah. I mean, thanks to Baker. A little ad there for Baker. <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think many first year students are going to devour State of New Testament Studies and catch it all, but no. they will see the big names and. You know, my um, my hope, and I, I know this is happening, is pastors who, let's just say, are going to do a series on Hebrews, are going to do a series on the Gospel of Matthew or Mark, uh, they, they want something that's subs substantive, that they don't have to spend six months reading academic monographs that are difficult to access and very expensive to purchase. They would like to have someone explain the lay of the land and that's that's what this volume does so um i'm excited about the potential for this for so many people and I, you know and and people might use it for the books like matthew mark luke john but i think my favorite essays are the thematic ones like christology which is the study of of the person and work of christ eschatology the study of you know final things um and and Sometimes you've heard certain terms like dispensationalism or high Christology. You just don't know what they are. And this, you know, these this these kinds of essays will just help you along in that. And, you know, just from a perspective as a person of color, um, as a person from an immigrant family, my parents came to the United States in the 1970s, often in seminary or in Bible college, we feel imposter syndrome. Uh, I hear that women sometimes experience this where you feel like everybody else knows everything and you don't. So you don't ask because you don't want to look stupid. And so these kinds of books are those kind of, you know, they're kind of private ways of getting caught up that aren't embarrassing by having to ask like, hey, can I meet with this professor to catch me up on what's this? I remember my first week of seminary. Um, I'm seeing an Old Testament studies class with, I think, Doug Stewart at Gordon-Conwell, I didn't know anything. I remember him talking about covenant, and this is the first time I'd ever heard anyone talk about covenant ever. <laughs> and I remember raising my hand at towards the end of class and saying, has anyone ever heard of this before? This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and later on, I realized that, you know, it's a reform seminary, this, you know, this makes sense <laughs> to a lot of people. Um, but I was just so green, I didn't know anything. And so I love these kinds of tools and resources. They're in print, you can come back to them over and over again. You know, uh, you, I wanna make a comment about what you said about the imposter syndrome. Um, those of us who are in New Testament studies feel like imposters in other people's disciplines. And yes. 
An imposter syndrome is a person who is truly competent, mm -hmm. but unable to embrace their competency for a variety of reasons. Women feel this way many times in ministry, in the church work, because they know someone's out to get them and they wonder if they've just been given a position uh, on the basis of gender or sex. And, it's, and, and they just wonder, am I really there? And some people suffer from this dramatically. But I, you know, I want to say something else. I, I feel this way when I read David Moffat in this, in this thing on Hebrews. And I've, I've written on Hebrews and I used to teach it. I've, I've taught through the whole book, you know, in Greek with totally good students. And we, I did that several times. In fact, it was so successful, D.A. Carson taught, taught the course the next year to correct everything I taught. And, uh, you know, you read Josh Jipp on the book of... These people know what they're talking about. And Nijay didn't mention, but one of my favorite essays is his on New Testament ethics, mm -hmm. which is a, a pervasive... Uh, it's a thematic study. So um, this is a way of feeling like I can now enter the conversation. I, I have a feel for what's going on. That's what That's what this does. It turns all of us out of our imposter syndrome into people who feel like we can at least sit in the room and know what's going on. Yeah. Scott, I think you made a good observation earlier on just the breadth of New Testament studies and so much is being written now. No single person, even a New Testament scholar, would have the time to read everything. And if that's true for a New Testament scholar, that's certainly true for a pastor who yeah, isn't yeah. spending their whole career in time in books, um, but a great deal with people. Uh, from the perspective of a pastor, how do you guys see that this resource could be beneficial for pastors in, in, you know, in their ministry, in their discipling, and the formation of the people in their congregation to be like Christ? Nietzsche, you go ahead. Yeah, I mean, part of it is saying, okay, I'm going to preach through a series on Acts, so I'm going to pick this book up, I'm going to read this essay, and I'm going to look at the bibliography, and I'm going to, you know, pick four or five books that are going to, you know, help me along. I always encourage pastors to read above their ability. You know, this is, you know, I have young kids, and I always try to get them books above their age level, above, you know, because that, that's what really pushes them. And so I'm inspired by pastors who are going to pick up maybe one difficult monograph and try to work through it, something thematic, something really challenging, you know, because there's so much there. I, I tell seminary students, and not all your listeners are seminary students, but I say to seminary students, um, you have this amazing gift that you can go into a seminary library and basically understand what's there that, that you know, 99% of people out there can't, Christians out there can't do. So you kind of have a burden and a gift to use and to cultivate. So I encourage actually pastors after seminary or maybe after Bible college to read at least two or three academic books a year. I know it's hard and you, you enjoy reading Tim Keller or you enjoy reading, you know, Beth Moore or uh, Lisa Sharon Harper, you know, people that can write more at the popular level like Scott and do a really good job. But I encourage people to read something a little more challenging. You know, it's kind of like Spanish. If you lose it, you don't use it for a while, you're gonna lose it. And so you have to kind of get back into that. My wife, you know, knows Spanish as so she watches we watch TV with Spanish subtitles a lot. Uh, so I know that the TV show Lost, I know in Spanish it's perdidas because of that. But, you know, it's, you, know, you want to challenge yourself. So I encourage you to, to, to maybe pick some monographs, pick some difficult books from, from one of those you know, essays and, and dig in and really use that as a kind of education, miniature education 
Um, I, I'll mention another thing. I don't know if this hits your question directly, but I think it's really interesting and unique part of this volume. Uh, so in terms of formation, when I, you know, when I just came up with this idea of redoing this, I thought, okay, this is, you know, qu quite old, the first edition. And I came to Scott. I didn't know he'd be interested in co-editing, but I was so happy that he was. And then he said, you know, this is early on in our friendship. He said, you know, come up with a list of contributors, you know. So I looked at the old Face New Testament studies, which was primarily late career white men. Yeah. Uh, and I and I basically created the same thing and I sent it to him and he said, AJ, this is very disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, shoot, I just did. He's like, no, I want fresh voices. I, you know, and he said, you know, um, he just gave me blank check. Pick your favorite scholars. And so I did. And we got, you know, the best of the best. But a beautiful thing is we got people from all over the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people of many different traditions beyond evangelicalism. And, and e even though we all have this, you know, kind of core lowercase e passion for the evangelicalism, meaning the gospel. Um, and we got people, some people earlier in their career, some people mid, some people late. And what I love about that is if you just look at the people in the volume, um, representing many different nationalities, many different cultural backgrounds, many different uh, denominations. And we all are, you know, pulling for the same cause of education and learning and formation and spiritual formation. And uh, I just think the way it came together and the group of people and that we're friends on Facebook and we it's created these relationships. I hope that will inspire pastors to look beyond kind of the traditional canon of heroes. Hmm. Um, you know, John Piper is part of the traditional canon of heroes. You know, Scott McKnight is part of the traditional canon, but I like Scott and I like John in some ways. Um, but maybe they're going to start looking at other folks and read some other literature by Shin Young Choi, who's a, an excellent Markin scholar, uh, or try to figure out who, okay, who's Tuan Do, where does he teach, you know, and, and things like that. I'm hoping as scholarship changes, you know, people have said the two the two organizations slowest to change are the church and the academy. And um, Scott and I exist in both worlds, and I feel that. I feel that oftentimes the church and academy are, are lagging behind in terms of thinking about new voices, fresh voices, taking dangerous steps. So I'm thankful for Scott. I'm thankful for Baker um, kind of taking a risk and stepping out there with very young career people, uh, people maybe fresh out of their Ph.D. or um, – people whose voices are not are, have not been published a ton, but we know them as experts based on what they've studied or what they've researched or what they've written in terms of monographs. So I encourage readers to follow up on who these people are, follow them on social media, read some of their works, and just open themselves up to new voices. You know, I, and I've often said the same thing, Niji. I think pastors should read a couple, two or three academic books a year. Uh, after they've graduated, just to stay up. And, you know, people like my blog and, and your blog and uh, their seminary professors, they can write them and say, what, what's the best book you read this year? I'm going to read it. Yeah. And, and just to, to uh, try to stay up. But the other thing is, I, um, I think each one of the chapters in this book is um, it's like a course. Mm -hmm. And I think... Uh, pastors could read one chapter a month. You know, don't get crazy and think you're going to sit down and read it on a weekend because you can't skim this stuff. It's too much. But one chapter a month and at the end of a year or two, how many, there's 20, at the end of two years, 23 chapters, and we'll give them a, one month to read 
our introduction, which Nijay wrote. I can tell you. I, I, I added a couple points. I you did? Yeah. Some footnotes, um, too. Yeah. The, um, they, will, they will be educated, and they can pick books out of this. And I, you know, as we look at this, this, this book, I look at students like Laura, who's with us today, and uh, I think she's, she's more alert than most. Uh, about when they come to seminary. She had a well, philosophical interest in, in this stuff, and you've done some editing over the years and read mm -hmm. a lot of theology, and you like books. You go on vacation where your husband's fishing and you're reading... <laughs> Great I like Boyd. that. Great yeah. Boyd's God at War. I'm going, oh, man. That's the kind of thing I read on vacation, too. Um, I read on vacations what uh, I just... I don't have time to read during the year. Just sit there and read, just devour, try to devour a book a day. But, um, you know, I, th I think of um, the, the sort of impact that a chapter like this can have for uh, Laura. Let's say she's taken a course on Jesus and the Gospels. She reads Becky or Rebecca Eklund's chapter, Jesus of Nazareth. She comes into class and starts asking questions and the other students are going, what in the world is going on? Does they all feel like imposters uh, when you start talking about this. So um, I, I think this can really help pastors, and I think it can help students. Uh, and I think there are books. There are books that you just get from the library, and there are books that you buy. And you know, I just you know now my my local library is mailing me books because you know it's hard to you know do all the touching. So I just got some things in the mail and I'll return them because I just use them for a very short period and I return them. But a book like Stay in New Testament Studies is a book you should have in your library. Even if you don't understand some of the stuff now, even if you're not interested in some of the stuff now, you might be interested in it later. And so it's one of those things where, you know, I like the idea of reading through the whole thing over a period of a couple of years. But it's also the kind of thing that even the face New Testament studies, people have told me it's not either or you should have both. You should have the face New Testament studies, and you have to. It's the same thing with the dictionary of Paul and his letters. Yeah. I don't think the new dictionary, which will come out in a few years, I don't think it'll replace the old one in the sense of throw it away or anything like that or give it away. Um, you know, keep it because these are different voices. It kind of uh, is going to put a tent pole down a particular era of scholarship. But what I like about even my copy of the new, say New Testament studies, I can come back to it, and maybe yeah. I'm not so interested in the stuff on Greek studies now, but maybe later on. Someone will learn Greek and they'll be like, oh, gosh, I, you know, I want to know what's going on. I get students ask, similar students ask all the time. I've taken Greek one and two. Now what do I do? Yeah, and yeah. so I have do some reading. But then if you want to know what's going on, this is a good place to poke in there. So when I think about, you know, I don't often tell people just go out and buy a book um, for most books. You know, you can just do fine. Whenever I want to buy a book and I say to my wife, I'm going to buy this, she'll say, why not just get it from the library? <laughs> she always says that. <laughs> I, and some of the books you should have in your library, just have it there on the shelf, and, and it'll be such an easy resource. I really feel like this is one of those books. Yeah, it's something that you can refer to over and over. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've got too many books. I can't keep up with the books coming my way because of the blog. So 300 350 free books a year. What do you do with them all? <laughs> I know. They yeah. just start piling up. I've got. Oh, it's embarrassing. So we're running. We're running short on time here. Yeah. Laura, you got any questions for Scott and EJ? 
I think for somebody who's looking at investing in this book and starting um, just to get the broad arc of New Testament studies, um, where would you direct them first? And, um, you know, as as they're looking at maybe the older book and the newer book, um, you know, what I think one of the things that I noticed is that there are a lot of female voices. There are a lot of multicultural voices speaking into this. Again, what's the benefit of that uh, for a seminary student and for pastors alike? Um, what is the advantage for reading that diversity of voices? Well, I would say if you're gonna if they're gonna start with one chapter, I would read Rebecca Eklund, Jesus of Nazareth, then Michael Gorman, Pauline Theology. And you'll have a feel for the whole book. You'll have a feel for for the kind of topic. And I think it'll give you some orientation. But every one of these is written by experts. You could read Lynn Koek on women in Jewish, Greco-Roman, and early Christian world. Every one of these is going to give you a sharp profile of a specific topic. So, yeah. DJ. I really like Dennis Edwards' chapter on uh, trends and advances in hermeneutics next to Jesus, which is just a fancy way of saying how to interpret the Bible. And what I like about that is Dennis is just a super sharp guy, went to Cornell, uh, went to Catholic University, has a great academic pedigree, but he was a pastor for decades and he knows how to communicate to this audience in a way that isn't really academically overwhelming. So he's introducing really complicated subjects of African-American interpretation and, you know, a variety of different, you know, theological interpretation of scripture. But he brings that kind of pastoral voice to it in terms of being able to communicate that in a pretty straightforward way. Um, I'd say he had probably the, one of the hardest jobs um, to do in the volume to, to, to talk about, you know, the many, many trends in interpretation, which are showcased in the book itself and, and boil it down. And so I really appreciate that. Uh, I don't know if this answers your question, but a book I just read, I just finished reading yesterday that might be a good precursor to state New Testament studies is the, New Cambridge Companion to St. Paul, edited by Bruce Longenecker. And it's actually written for kind of advanced undergraduate level or early seminary. It's called The New Cambridge Companion to St. Paul. It actually does something very similar to Stay New Testament Studies. I think we do a little bit better, just to be honest. But um, I really enjoyed it, and it is a little bit more accessible, a little bit lower shelf in terms of, uh, you know, not too academically technical. Um, but again, I encourage people to read above their, their ability and level because yeah, it, yeah. it challenges them. And maybe you have a group, um, maybe you have a group of people. And I, I see this happening all the time right now where my wife's doing a book study right now with Michael Gorman's book, Reading Revelation Responsibly. And, you know, get a group of people and read it together. So take Scott's idea, read it over a period of, uh, you know, a couple of years. But I, what really helps is that you kind of suffer through it together and you ask, what does this word mean? And, you know, what is exegesis? And that could be a good way of, of, of sharing the experience with others. Yeah. That's good. Well, and Scott and EJ, any yeah. closing thoughts for us today? Well, I, I want to thank EJ for carving out time from his busy schedule and uh, avoiding whatever is going on in Portland right now. Uh, but um, uh, this, is, this is a really helpful book, and I hope our, um, you know, we didn't come on here to get people to buy it. We're not making money from this, but uh, at least if we are, I haven't seen any. Uh, the uh, 
we want the, this kind of book to be in the hands of students and pastors because we believe this will make their ministry have a sharper profile of knowledge and give them angles and thoughts for preaching and teaching in the church. Yeah, you know, we went we went to an academic, this book came out around the time of an academic conference called Society of Biblical Literature. And, you know, I don't know about Scott, but I circled around the booth every now and again to see how it was selling and it flew off the shelves. They had yeah. a big stack and, you know, that's not a testimony to my name. It's not a testimony to Scott's name. It's really the practical utility of this book. Again, like Scott said, it's it's a library of study. And to have all that, you know, Baker's really good at making things affordable if you did want to buy it. But I highly encourage you to get it in other places if you can too. But um, I just, I, one of the reasons I started this project, initiated it, is because I love these kinds of books that are reference tools uh, written by different people, so you get different views, different voices, and affordable, and you combine those things, and I feel like it kind of sells itself, but I encourage you to catch a sample of it, see, see what you think is helpful, look at the table of contents, I'm one of these people that, you know, looks at table of contents and tries to see if, how long is it, is it useful, and I actually think that pastors, especially pastors with theological education, or in seminary, it, it's a no-brainer, you should, you know, rent it, borrow it, loan it, buy it, uh, definitely look into it because it's it's a great great resource. Thanks for being with us today, Ninja. Thank you. My Ninja. pleasure. <laughs> and thanks our audience for being with us. We're so grateful for how you follow along. And um, we want I want to make sure you know about a special opportunity that Baker has given to us to relay on to you. They've actually for you our Kingdom Roots audience made the, the introduction and Scott and Nijay's chapter available for free to you. And I'll include a, a link to a form to how to get that in the show notes. But make sure to check that out to um, just begin to sample it and and see how valuable that it can be because, um, man, like they, how they both said that, that this is really a library and a book. And so I hope you take the opportunity to begin to investigate that because it's so critical to, um, you know, obviously investigating how the kingdom took root then um, to how it's continuing to take root now, which is what we're all about here. So thanks again for being with us. And we look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. <laughs>